everyone. Welcome to the second episode of The Racing Line, where tonight we're going to be discussing the um, review of the American Grand Prix that just took place this morning um, out of the Circuit of the Americas, uh, where we saw Mark Marquez take the victory. Uh, if you are listening, we thank you very much for doing so. Um, you're able to access the podcast on Spotify now, on Google Podcasts, on Amazon, and it's also going to be recorded and put onto YouTube as well. So if you're somebody that wants to put a face to what you're hearing, um, you'll also be able to access it um, starting from this week on YouTube as well. Please subscribe, give us your likes, um, just so that we can keep building this community and also share it um, with your friends as well. Um, that would be really much appreciated. So we're going to kick straight off with um, with Michael giving a brief review of the race. Um, then we'll have a little bit of a discussion about the key talking points. And then towards the end of the podcast, we'll just do a preview as well of the Turkish GP that's coming up in Formula One next weekend. Take it away, Mike. Yeah, hi guys. Um, try to not take too long um, in reviewing this race, but I thought it was a, it was a um, pretty interesting race from the outset, to be honest. It, qualifying was was a mixed bag, to say the least. Um, and then we start the race with uh, the you know seven-time world champion, Mark Marquez, putting his foot down in absolutely emphatic fashion, I would say, um, from the moment that the, the lights go green. So um, Marquez led into the first corner and led the whole race after that. And uh, it was what I would say um, an eerie reminder to the rest of the, the competition of how dominant this rider has been for so long. Um, it really was like watching the Marquez of old. And considering that this is his seventh win in eight eight attempts um, in his you know last eight attempts at the Circuit of the Americas, it was unsurprising, I would say, um, in in a way, but also um, really good to see him back at his best and dominating um i can't say too much more about marquez but apart from that he he really you know they, they made the they made the point in commentary that he loves anti-clockwise tracks um and kota would have to be one of the most physically demanding tracks on in, in the in the calendar year um and again in commentary they said that um there would be three tracks that he would most likely return and win at. It would probably be um, Aragon, um, Austin, or Austria. So, you know, through to form, he he really, really did put his foot down um, and and won from from like I said, the first corner. Quartararo just did what he needed to do. Um, he, you know, once once Marquez was gone, he kind of just was consistent from about that mid race point onward, and 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 really didn't didn't make an effort to ch to chase him down kind of just kept that buffer between him and third um which changed a bit in, in the early to mid race um but really just stayed consistent and bagged those 20 points that i think will come in a lot uh come in handy as we move towards the you know the business end of this competition um i, I found ducati and and their this you could say strategy or, or just the way the race panned out for them rather interesting um with you know martin really really showing why i believe he'll probably be a factory rider um in the next year or so i think i think the way he's come back from that pretty bad injury after the after the crash earlier in the season has been fantastic and he clearly has lightning pace um on that pramac so i think you know, the way he ended the race wasn't ideal. Getting the long lap penalty 
was unfortunate because I think he would have had a, a really good um, race coming in the fourth, but um, it was unfortunate to see. I think, you know, the fatigue caught up with him at the end um, and Bagnaya, you know, Bagnaya's class came through as well. So he, um, he, he, had, he ran a really good race, Martin. I was, I was really impressed with him. Just unfortunate that he finishes in fourth um, behind, sorry, in, in fifth behind Alex Rins. Um, Bagnaya, interesting start to his race as well. He, he, he had a pretty ordinary start, if I'm, if I'm being honest. He, he didn't start as well as, as say, Jack Miller, um, but he timed his charge well. And towards the end of the race, you could really see um, you know, his aggression come through. I, I think it was really important for Banyoya to finish on the podium so that he's still in touching distance with Quattararo. Um, keeps it very interesting moving, like I said, into these last rounds. But, um, yeah, definitely showed his class there late in the race. Suzuki had an interesting race. They started really well, really good off the, off the, um, off the opening, off opening grid. Um, you know, Rins went from, I think it was seventh to to third or fourth just in the first three corners so that was really a really good start for them but the bike just isn't it just isn't there with Ducati and Yamaha and I think that's been obvious all year just they, they just can't seem to um whether it's the setup or, or or the strategy they just can't seem to get that right I think that they're hampering themselves a lot in a lot of these races with their tire selection their um yeah their tire selection I don't really understand why they went with um, softs at, on the rear um, at such a hot track and such a de- like such a demanding track with such um, with so many corners. But it was a, it was a better race, I would say, from Suzuki than than what I've seen um, in recent in recent races. That they were consistently towards the top, which was good. Um, but they just didn't have that 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 pace like the the Yamahas and the Ducatis, and they really did. I suppose everyone did, um, but they really got found out on the back straight um, by that Ducati uh, horsepower. So, um, yeah, strong race from Suzuki, but but nothing to write home about, I would say. And, and Amir was disappointing. Um, Miller, Jack Miller, who Joseph really goes to bat in strongly for. Um, I think he had a really up. good. I think he had a really good start to the race. Um, he started really well towards and then started to fade around the middle. Um, I think that the hard tire at the start, once it warmed up, it allowed him to take some, some put some early pressure on the Suzuki's uh, and then and then he kind of faded towards the end. So I, I don't really know what happened there with Miller because Banyai seemed to get stronger and Miller seemed to get to get slower. So um, maybe more will come from that. But um, yeah, just just a disappointing end to, to his race. Um, and just in general, I think Ducati, um, like I said, they had that opportunity to really use their, their pace down the back straight. Didn't really happen because Marquez was already gone. Um, it would have been interesting to see what would have happened with Banyaya if the race was a little bit longer, but that's just if buts and maybes at this point. I think Quattararo did a great job um, at nailing down second. And at the end of the day, um, it leaves the championship in a really nice position, moving into the last couple of races to see um, exactly who deserves to be the world champion. I think um, Quattararo is still in, in the front seat, but Banyaya is doing enough to keep that pressure on him. And it's going to be, it's going to be pretty interesting to see what happens there. In terms of the track, um, I think 
you know, they mentioned earlier in, in practice this week, I think it was me and Quadraro both mentioned how rough or bumpy the track was. How the, they, they just weren't happy with the surface and it was evident throughout the whole race. You could see the bikes, you know, visibly bouncing along, along the surface, particularly coming down from the first corner around the second bend, that, that sweeping right-hander. You could, you could actually see the bikes vibrating, um, which I haven't seen all year. And it'd be interesting to see if, if um, Coda's on the on the schedule for next year because I think Dorna were actually speaking to um, their management to see if it can get resurfaced and it didn't obviously happen this year but um, be interesting to see if it can if it will happen by next year because I don't think the right the riders were happy with it not as many falls as I thought um, especially given the temperatures but they definitely weren't happy with that surface so that's something to keep our eye on as well um, I think it was an excellent race for Honda um, a bounce back race for them um, whether or not it shows that their bike has actually improved I don't know um, but I think a lot of that could have just come down to Marquez's excellence at that circuit um, but nevertheless a really important win for them um, they haven't been on the top step of the podium for a while now so um, a big big win for Honda um, like I said earlier, I think it's still evident that Ducati and Yamaha are the bikes to beat this year. Um, Suzuki just just off the pace and, and I don't think have been there at all this season. And lastly, I just think it's been a really, it was a really good showing for some of the rookies. Bastianini, again, sneaking in to a really good position there at the end after a little love tap, you could say, between Mir and Miller. Um, but he was carrying that pace throughout the whole last third of the race. So, so it was well-deserved. Um, but Martin, I think Martin's really putting himself forward to be a factory ride in Ducati. And, and like I said, it'll be interesting to see what happens there um, with Miller's seat, especially given he's only on a one-year contract. Um, I think he may have earned himself another year, but um, whether or not it, you know, it proves to be long-term will be something to keep our eye on. So yeah, that's the race. Awesome. Thanks for that, Mike. And we'll go straight into um, your the questions that you've got posed um, or, the, or the questions that you've taken away from the race, Joey, uh, that, that will hopefully facilitate a discussion. I think, you know, a lot of the things that you brought up, Michael, were, you know, you know the, the keys that, that most of us would have taken away. Um, so I'll send it over to you, Joe. Uh, well, first, I'd like to piggyback off what Mike just said at the end about um, um, it being a great race for Honda. And the first question I'd like to pose is, is a great race for Honda or is it a great race for Marquez because the rest of the Hondas were nowhere to be seen? And is it is a great race for Marquez what Honda is looking for? Um, I'll throw that to you because uh, you're always looking at that. Well, I think if we look at the Honda performances on a whole, um, Alex Marquez was pretty much 12th, 13th. The whole race didn't do a whole lot. Um, Paulus Bargro ninth, 10th, the whole race didn't really make any, um, you know, inroads. Takanakagami looked like he was going to have one of his better races in a long time and went down at the the first corner, which was disappointing. Um, I would say that the bike hasn't improved a whole lot, to be perfectly frank, but I just think it's a track that um, Marquez is always strong at. And if you looked at the lap times, he was being able to literally put out from lap three all the way through to lap 20, um, they were all 204s and it just showed the level of consistency that he was able to um, to show. 
Um, and it, it's, to be honest with you, it's a little bit surprising considering how rough the track was and how difficult it was supposed to be to ride that he was able to, to be so consistent and also to not show any signs of fatigue because that's something that um, we're told that he's still struggling with. So the fact that he was able to um, manhandle the bike for so long um, with such consistency is actually a good sign if you are a Marquez fan because it obviously shows that he's getting a little bit stronger. Yeah, but I would say uh, it definitely wasn't. It doesn't show that Honda's any better in relation to the 2021 bike. Um, but I think it's just a track that he definitely has affinity for. And as Michael said before, um, Marquez had earmarked three races that he really was supposed to perform well at, regardless of his of his condition. The first one was Saxon Ring. He won the race. The second one was Aragon, where he was, you know, fighting with um, Bagnaia the whole race and just as easily could have won that race. He finished second. And then the third race was Coda and he won that race as well. So if there were three races that they had penciled in for him to perform well, regardless of his circumstances, um, that would be those three tracks there. And, you know, he's taken almost, you know, 73 out of the, or 60 out of the 75 points from those rounds. So, sorry, in short, to answer your question, that was um, a Marquez performance, not a Honda performance. And what um, oh, Sorry, go ahead. He looked like a man possessed, like from the start, took from third position, first corner, gone. And what was it? Quadraro didn't get anywhere close to him. Um, I, I thought it was awesome. Honestly, he led from the front. It was like a, uh, you know, I'm an F1 man. It was like watching Lewis Hamilton in 2020. No one could get near him. So, yeah, I thought he was great. It was yeah, actually yeah. a very Lorenzo-esque ride, to be honest yeah, with you. I was going to say that. Um, you just... Once he got get, got the lead, it just it wasn't even a question. I was really, really impressed with the way he handled the bike um, through the S's. There's a lot of S's on that track, and, it's, and like I mentioned before, it's it's very physically demanding. Um, and he didn't he didn't miss a beat. There wasn't there wasn't any you know Marquez saves or any little minor slips. It was just pure dominance from that first corner and. No one, no one looked like they were even remotely um, going to go with him. Quattararo a little bit at the start of the race. He he was keeping him, you know, um, in his sights, so to speak. But once it hit that midpoint, it was Marquez from. Has Quattararo ever raced all the way in on a GP bike? Yeah, he raced there with Petronas um, oh. two years ago. Remember that that Marquez? It would have been his eighth win from eight if he hadn't slipped out um, with a three and a half second lead two years ago ending it yeah. to Rin. So um, he's just been completely dominant there since he's been in, in MotoGP. Um, thanks for that, guys. Yeah, so the last thing, I, oh, not the last thing. So uh, as Michael was saying, how Miller had such a real, such a good start to that race and then he faded literally about lap 10, went right when uh, he got to the back of um, Jorge Martin. And the what only thing I could think of is that because that track has got such uh, long straights and so much um, breaking at the end of those straights, to gain that much ground in the opening start, uh, part of the race, he would have been had to be really outbreaking himself to get the position on those six riders that he overtook. And I was even um, when I re rewatched the race this afternoon, one overtake that he did when he took over uh, Brad Binder and Mir together. And he came from so far back, like doing those kind of um, passes um, on a track that that bumpy and uh, that hot, no matter how hard your tyre was, by the time you got halfway through, 
you we've seen it all year that you can't push these tires like the motor gp is becoming a um like tire management sport at the moment and i really think that the um the, those effects of that real hard opening stands of the race affected him at the end um it was also interesting this week that uh, we finally saw the new honda bike be revealed in testing and i was thinking about that during the race because i was like wow this is sort of like the the last iteration of the bike as we know it because the new bike really looks um drastically different and much more like a yamaha if you look at the um the front of it what do you think about that um just the uh, overall look of that package yeah? because i know you would have looked at it and um are you excited I, for it i don't really care what it looks like aesthetically it, i did i did see the yamaha uh, particularly at the front of the bike where the air vent is it's very yamaha-esque um i don't really care what it looks like though it's going to be strapped in Repsol and um, Red Bull um, livery tape anyway, so it's going to look exactly the same like it has for the last 15 years. But um, I was a little bit more interested in what Marquez was saying about the bike. Um, it seems to be a completely different um, style of bike to, to what this last iteration was, uh, which is interesting. And at this stage, uh, it's very early, but there's a lot of positives with the bike, but there's also a lot of areas to improve. So I think the fact that um, they've, you know, got the bike out, you know, and, and, and ridden it this early is a good sign. Hopefully, um, testing gets a little bit back to normal now, um, as, as we move out of a COVID world, um, and there's, and, you know, there can be sufficient time testing the bike. You also got to think Mark has didn't have any influence on the testing of the bike last year as well. So towards the end of last year, um, you know, Braddle and Alex Marquez were kind of doing the heavy lifting for that. And, and it didn't seem to, to go, you know, really far at all. Um, and, and I hope that changes this year. Paul Espargaro seemed to be impressed with the bike as well. So they, Honda need to figure out how to get a bike that's obviously good for Marquez to ride, but also good for the rest of their stable to ride as well, because you've got some really great riders, you know, Paul Espargaro, Nakagami, Alex Marquez, even Brattle, all these people are riding the bike and and can't really do anything with it. So if they're able to get a um, a stronger collective package for everyone to ride, well, Marquez is going to be able to ride it anyway because he can ride, you know, a great bike as just as well as he can ride a piece of crap. Um, but I think getting a more consistent bike that the rest of the team can can help develop as well and and ride effectively is going to be the biggest thing. Um, again, to answer your question in short. Um, yeah, I like the look of the bike. It doesn't really phase me though. I just hope that they're able to develop something that's a little bit more rideable for everyone else. Um, and I think what we're seeing this year with Marquez and as he gets stronger um, is that he'll be able to ride it. I mean, he's, he's not going to struggle on something that's more compliant to ride, let's put it that way. I wasn't implying that um, the, as in the look, as in um, what do you think of the look I sort of meant seeing the as a, a totally new philosophy behind it and that it's going to be like the first real evolution a revolution or evolution should i say of, of the honda bike for a while and it's, and some... it's, and it's earlier that they've actually started testing it earlier than they traditionally have it's normally you know the after the last day of the year they'll you know bring out the new bike and they'll test it you know three or four times before the season starts as per usual but the fact that they've given particularly mark and paul uh the chance to test it a few months before and to get the initial feeling of the bike already, I think is, you know, really 
really good, but they need to do it. You need to take into consideration that Yamaha over the last two years has developed a phenomenal bike um, considering where they were at a couple of years ago, languishing behind Honda. Ducati have, you know, seemed to build a bike that finally turns as well as it, as well as it, you know, drives in a straight line. Um, and if Honda don't kind of get their act together, um, they're going to be left behind. And I think what they realized last year is if Marquez goes down, they're nowhere. Um, so that might've been the catalyst that they needed to think, you know, we need to start producing a, a bike that's a little bit more ergonomic for, you know, all of our riders because they do have a good stable of riders. Yeah. You saw what were you thinking, Mike? Yeah, look, I, I definitely agree with what Anthony said. I think HRC being, you know, the institution that they are and, and having that culture of winning um, definitely needed to, they, they definitely needed to make a change. And, and if, you know, if today was evidence to anything, it was to that, uh, to the fact that that bike is still a Marquez bike. Um, it can still be successful so long as the, the right rider is on it. And I don't think um, Honda want to be a one a one rider bike anymore. I think last year was a was a massive wake up call for them. I mean, they had good riders on their bikes, but um, they were very limited in how competitive they were. Um, Suzuki made a massive step forward with their tire wear last year, and I think um, Ducati and, y- and Yamaha responded to that um, this year, as as we see. Um, I think Yamaha would be what I say the leaders in that this year. Um, their bike has been competitive since not only testing, but the first race, they've been utterly dominant in, in terms of their tyre preservation. I think um, Ducati obviously have that lightning speed and I think, um, you know, no other bike can even come close to that. Maybe KTM, but I still think that's their biggest asset. But they even they've made really, really good strides with how, um, you know, malleable the bike has been this year. So I think um, Honda needed to do this. Uh, they need to be a bike that can be ridden by their whole the whole stable, and, and I think it's a positive thing. All right, just um, quickly transitioning, because uh, we're talking about the bike, so just ask Harry a question quickly, just to finish up on the race. Um, having not watched many races, Harry, uh, did you find that the race was, um, in terms of an overall package, exciting, or was it, or like, or as a, like, not talking about like how Mark is dominated the race but more like watching the actual action inside the race what did you think of that as an overall package compared to say a formula one race um because i feel like at the moment motor gp sort of has like this year especially sort of become a tire preservation series as i said before i just wanted to see what your take was having never watched it before what you thought of the whole overall thing um yeah look i've watched one race before i think uh it was the austria race from early this year and that was certainly more more exciting than this one um you know, for me, I was watching Jack Miller, um, obviously being being the resident Aussie in the in the in the field. Um, it was I was really interested to see, like you said, he um, you know about the tire preservation. His his hard tire, you know, he was on the two hard tires when everyone else had mediums and softs. He was able to fire them up really quickly. And then I thought, oh, these will hang on till the end. You know, in Formula One, you get the hards working quickly. You're still going to go longer than a medium or a soft, and and they went off. And I think he said at the end of the race that he had to change his riding style to suit the tyres, which is, you know, not something that I thought would happen in, um, in MotoGP. Um, you know, there were some cra- awesome overtakes. Um, those guys are crazy. The way they get right next to each other, you know, 
we saw the the Miller and and Mears, um, and me is it me, the incident between yeah. them on on the last lap, you know that sort of stuff. Like he, life and death is so close in in MotoGP. Whereas at least you got the cabin in Formula One to protect you. So I think from that perspective, it was really really interesting. You know, um, the the wheel to wheel racing is a lot closer, obviously in in MotoGP. The field was a lot more bunched up. You know, I know there was only twenty laps or whatever it was, but by lap twenty, you know, you've got Hamilton and Verstappen ten seconds ahead of the rest of the field. So, it, from that perspective, it was a lot, a lot better. But yeah, there was, you know, wasn't as much overtaking as what I thought there'd be. Let's let's just leave it there. Yes, I I think that we have to be careful. Let's be honest with with this when we take this race into consideration. In particular, firstly, it is a it's a Marquez track. Um, and but taking taking Marquez out of the yeah situation. taking Marquez out well if you take Marquez out of it think about it Quadraro has been up there the whole year uh, if you take first and second out of it from you know third all the way through the sept through to seventh there was changes galore we saw you know as we said earlier Miller you know make a huge um, charge through the field and and he just I think he just used up way too much tire early on not saying that he he shouldn't have done that because he was obviously starting from 11th which was nowhere near where he would have expected to start but he used up too much tire um and and i think also when we think about the the tire situation it's still providing really great racing if you think about the amount of late race charges we've seen from people like brad binder and even someone like bagnaya who over the course of this year, kind of the first half of the race is normally pretty tame, but over the second, like there's a skill involved in saving that tire for the, for the end. Bastianini. Uh, and, uh, no, no, sorry. Bagnaya, not Bastianini. And Bastianini has been amazing. Mm, I'll, so, I'll, I'll wait for you in. So I, I, I don't think that um, we can just kind of say that the, the tire situation has been all, altogether negative. Um, there have been some dominate, dominating performances by, by, by riders. And that's part of racing. And that's why we get, have world champions and, 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 and things of that nature. But if, if we were to look at MotoGP over the last 10 years as a, as a whole, and think about the spectacle that it presents, there's always going to be races like this. But on the other hand, you have a race last week, like at Aragon, um, where you've got two guys that are literally within a 10th of each other for the whole race. And that's still the same tire situation as well. So, um, I don't know. I, I wouldn't say that I'm buying into the whole negativity around the tire wear. And if anything, I think that that kind of um, makes for better racing because if people can't manage the tire and there are obviously some people that do it better than others. And if we were going to talk about Jack Miller, he's someone who traditionally tends to fade at the end of races when it comes to the, when it comes to tires. And Michael spoke about it earlier as well about Suzuki, um, picking the wrong tires. Miller is consistently picking tires that are different to everyone else. And um, sometimes it just doesn't work out and, and, and it didn't work out today. So uh, again, to sync to what I'm trying to say, I wouldn't buy into the whole tire wear issue being as negative as some people are making it out to be. On the contrary, I think MotoGP is in a really strong place right now. What are you going to say, Mike? Yeah, look, I think Anthony's made a lot of valid points there. I, I personally think um, the tyre, uh, building around the tyre is a massive leveller in the sport. I, I think um, 
you know, it forces in a way teams to construct a bike that's, that, you know, the best all round bike wins. And I think, um, you know, albeit the fact that Marquez was, was out of the season last year, you know, if you just look at the difference from 2020 to 2021, for example, and the responses that teams have made, it's, it's been phenomenal. And um, I said, I mentioned this earlier, Yamaha really got the balance right. I mean, you're, you're talking about a bike that could not compete at all last year. Um, Quattararo was lost um, after the first three to four races, couldn't stay on the bike. He had problems turning the whole season, constantly complaining that he couldn't move the bike, couldn't turn the bike, especially on windy tracks. Ducati was nowhere near where they are this year, last year. Granted, they had a, a clean out, um, but Davizioso was, was was definitely not as competitive as he was in years prior. Um, and, and, I mean, we're talking about Banyaya, a guy who could not stay on the Pramac at all last year. I mean, the guy, the guy was falling every second race. Wouldn't it? Wouldn't even have been in anyone's, um, you know, mindset that he was going to be challenging for a, for a world championship this year. Comes out in testing at, um, you know, in Lasalle and is and burning up the charts from from day dot. And I think that's just a testament to, you know, how the how the teams worked in the off season. Obviously, responding to. Um, the all-round um, and the all-round um, facets of the Suzuki, but also their tire preservation. It was constantly referred to last year. They had the best tire preservation, and it always um, spurred them well coming into to the end of, of a race. And I think you see that with Yamaha, and you see that with Ducati. And, and just and just talking about Ducati, um, I, as much as you know, obviously being Australian, we want to support Australian riders. I have not no problem with Miller. Um, I, I wish him well. I, I want to see him succeed, but I don't think um, you know the suggestion that you know it, it's it's Ducati's fault or it's the, the bike's fault is fair because I honestly think that Banyaya is a massive testament to how the bike can perform. I think he's proved that it can perform competitively on windy tracks, which you know historically hasn't been the forte of Ducati, I, I think he's put that to bed. And I, I think they've got a ways to go, but if they continue to improve with, with the bikes handling, they can be untouchable next year considering their pace. So, so I don't think it's, it, you know, the bike's a question. I think, I think um, what's going to be very interesting is to see who, who's riding in, in the works team and obviously Jack, Jack in Pramac next year, because, um, and it may not be next year, it could be the year after, but I, I really think, that um, the future of Ducati is Banyai and Martin. And I wouldn't be surprised if Bastianini has moved up to the Pramac seat by next year because he has really come on strong um, late in the end. And he's very, very consistent. I think the end of this race, he was flying up the time charts. And if he can be strong towards the end of the race, it's a really good sign for Ducati. And Zarko has uh, fallen on a cliff. Well, that's yeah. a... Your, that's your a, uh, support of Miller there, Mikey B, was uh, the most disingenuous thing I've ever heard. <laughs> Look, I, like I've said this, I've said this for years now. I like Miller. I think he's a good guy. Um, I think he can be a bit of a winger sometimes, but he's never been someone that I've thought, yes, he could be a, a potential world championship threat. I think um, my eyes are firmly fixed on on Remy Gardner. I think he has the, you know, we throw this word around a lot on this podcast, but I think he's got that killer mentality to him, um, more so than Miller. And it will be interesting to see. Um, how he goes next year on um, the you know the Tech Three KTM bike, which I think I think KTM have definitely you know to bring them into this discussion. I think they've taken a bit of a step back this year. 
Um, and it'd be it'd be fun to see where they take the bike next year. Um, I think I think all the manufacturers will will be interesting again next year. But KTM would be one to keep my eye on because they were really getting competitive toward the end toward the end of 2020. So a bit of a shame to see them fall off um, the way they have this year. I'm gonna use that to segue to my um my next um point, which was that um, the Ducati stable is absolutely stacked with these young, amazing riders. And just to clarify, um, the four main Ducati seats are all filled for next year. So it's Bagnaya and Miller, and then it's mm. still Zarco and Martin. Um, Bastianini's on a Ducati contract with the uh, new Grissini team. Um, and um, um, Luca Marini staying with the VAR46 team. And, and the young, uh, who's the young uh, Moto2 VAR46 fella, AF? Um, oh, um, not Ramos. Um, I can't remember. Uh, oh, no, Bezeki. No. Bezeki's going into VR46 next year. And then another one of the younger fellas is coming into Grissini. Grissini's young riders coming in as well. So there's not going to be many um, changes in the Ducati um stable next year but although 2023 will be will be very interesting uh, 2023 is going to be very interesting but um i wanted to say about bastianini because he has had probably the the best run of form out of any um like satellite rider if we're going to call it that uh, that i can that i can rem- remember um it's sort of like reminding me of those days when davizioso and crutchlow were on those tech three um monster yamahas how they were really pushing for the podiums and even though he's not pushing for podiums uh like they were the, the grid is so much stronger now that he's oh he actually got a podium what was it last week he got a second or two weeks ago um or was it a third but um he's now um he's now a ducati rider so i'm pretty sure that ducati is going to have six factory bikes next year uh two for pramac two for their own team and one in each of those stables and um, just looking at it compared to every other um, manufacturer, except maybe KTM, there um, there really is options for probably the strongest uh, like junior um, academy in in the sport. Um, do you have anything to add on that, F? Um, no, I'm not really a whole lot to add negatively oh, yeah. to what you've said. I think that the the they're stacked. They've literally gone from a team that had one of the older lineups in MotoGP and completely flipping it and they've, and they've got, you know, depth to spare. Uh, and I think it's a great, you know, a great thing to see, um, particularly for the sport when you've got six factory bikes um, from a stable like a, a, a OEM willing to put that kind of, um, you know, infrastructure in place. It's always going to be great for the sport. Hopefully it's also good for the teams that are participating and that's exactly what we want to see. And that's why we love MotoGP because you've got, you know, all these talented riders um, that, that all have a chance to actually show what they're capable of. And when you've got someone who's riding on a bike that's three years old, and they're, you know, having these fantastic charges through the field, making podiums and things like that. It's something that we miss in a lot of other premier prototype categories. Um, so I can't really um, you know, say anything more about that, but I, I would like to just briefly touch on on KTM and just some considerations that we need to take into, to obviously be aware of. Um, they lost their number one rider last year who did the vast majority of development for that bike over the previous years. Uh, which was Paul Espargaro. And, you know, we can argue that he should have won a race or two last year. It didn't end up happening. 
Um, so I think that was a big issue for them. And I think also they were a bit of a victim of their own success because they did so well last year that they actually lost a lot of their, um, whatever it is, the considerations or the uh, exemptions that they get for, for new OEMs. So they're, yeah, they're, playing with, yeah. Yeah, they're playing with the big boys now. And we saw this actually with Suzuki as well. When um, Vinales came in, they did really well. They won a race or two. They lost those concessions. Um, and then it took them a year or so to figure out how to, um, you know, make the most of the package again. And I, I think they've got the riders to do it. Binder, if you want to talk about, you know, someone who's, you know, getting better every race is, is that guy. His end of race pace is almost, you know, ridiculously good. Um, Oliver is rapid. Yeah, some would call him rapid towards the end Sorry, of the race, Tom. but it's it's almost like um it's almost like clockwork. He's nowhere for half the race, and then towards the end, he just the tires start working for him. Oliveira has struggled a little bit this year, but we've seen him win races. Um, he was you know at the back of the grid at the start of at this race, and he managed to pull it up to eleventh, which was you know, they, pretty good as well. Have they still not won two races this year? No, they've only won the one with Binder in the wet. No, Oliveira, Did Oliveira win in Port in Portugal. I'm pretty sure he had a win in a second back to back. Well, they might they might have already got got those two wins then. Um, and the last thing that I do want to say is obviously just quickly about Remy Gardner. Um, he has been cruising along for the better part of the year, and if you aren't watching it, uh, the Moto Two Championship right now, this would be the time to lock in because Ralph Fernandez over the last couple of races. Um, has been significantly closing the gap in the championship. And it's looking eerily similar to, it might have been 2013, um, the championship between Scott Redding and Paul Espargaro. Um, so that's kind of what that championship is um, looking like to me right now. It's a bit of a homage to Paul Espargaro's Moto2 championship. But um, if you haven't been watching it, have a watch of Moto2 um, over the last three rounds. Also, um, just on this point, it's it was it's a massive juxtaposition with how um, sort of that Ducati Academy is coming through. Whereas if they had the problem that Yamaha had this year when they lost one of their main riders, they would have no problem like just filtering their riders up. Whereas you Honda. see, oh, it's the same with Honda. Like Honda has got no. Oh, they've got Stefan Brattle, I suppose, um, who can fill that line. But in terms of young riders coming in, they haven't got anything. Um, but even like when you look at uh, Yamaha, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about it. They've brought in probably one of the, the best riders not to be riding this year in Divizioso. Um, but even um, with the whole Morbidelli situation, he's come back from a massive injury. We, we can tell he hasn't got any confidence like at all. Um, and Divizioso has come in on the oldest bike out of their four bike stable. And he's been the second highest um ranked Yamaha in the race. And even I think this whole idea that the Yamaha is an amazing bike, it is for Quattararo, but they haven't and they haven't had anyone close to the performances that he's had all year. You know what I mean? Like it's a I'm I'm thinking could uh Yamaha have a Mark Marquez Honda situation forming with um Quattararo? What do you I think? Don't, I don't think that would be the case. And my only my only point against that so to speak would be the fact that Quadraro has been on record this year saying, uh, since the start of the season, saying that the bike turns way better. Now, look, that, that could just be his way of, of saying, look, I'm back in form and I'm, my confidence is back. It was completely shot last year. And, and I think everyone could see that. But um, I think 
the way that the Yamahas have performed all season, particularly late in the race, you know, and and you know the, the late race King Suzuki have been nowhere near them really, um, is a testament to that. I, I, just based on what you said earlier um, with the VR6, the VR46 Academy, I think it's excellent for the sport because there was a period there where you know it was Spanish rider after Spanish rider after Spanish rider, and I think it's good for Italy, Italian riders as well. You now mm-hmm. see um, this whole plethora of, of young, talented Italian riders, and I think that's fantastic for MotoGP um, because it just gives that gives it that little bit more diversity. Obviously, you'd like to see um, you know more British or Australian, South African, um, and other countries getting involved. I think Australia's got enough for our size. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but it is good for the sport. It's good for the talent pool. Um, I think if anything, it validates what VR Forty Six Academy has been doing. Um, for the last, you know, four, five to six years, it, it really shows that they are getting good riders. And and just to finish on Morbidelli, I think, you know, a Morbidelli back at full strength, this is a guy that was um, dominating on an old bike last year. Um, I think he'll be he'll be really good. I think him and Quadraro will be really good he- heading into 2022 um, on a, you know, further improved works Yamaha. It's going to be very, very interesting to see what happens there. Um, and just... Before I finish, back to Bastianini. You've got to remember, this guy is on an old Ducati. This is the bike that could not perform if the bike depended on it last year. I mean, you had riders falling off left, right, and center. Um, it could not turn again. Handling was junk. And he's he been is... on last year's bike. Okay. Well, there he's you on the two year, two year old bike. Okay. Well, my, that's my mistake. But um, yeah. regardless, he's, he's on old technology. He's performing really, really well. I'd be very, very interested to see him and Martin as a as a um, partnership on a Pramac bike, or you know maybe somewhere down the line um, on the works bike as well. So, so much talent um, in the field, and and positive things ahead for Ducati. I'm really, I'm really happy that um, even though Rossi has been nowhere, well, for the last two years really, his um his brainchild, his VR46 um, ranch, and his his riders actually. Uh, bring so much to the sport um michael laverty is actually starting one of those yeah, academies for, for british for riders yeah. as well for british yeah, riders yeah. so that's that's actually good like we're talking about before to see other um ethnicities kind of push their cause in in motor gp it's good to see that as well all right well i'll, I'll use that to segue but quickly i'll just ask one more question um we've seen uh Davizioso and morbidelli both um signed to yamaha deals this year um, Davizioso last, last couple of weeks ago. If Morbidelli hasn't found any form by the end of the year, is there any in any realm of possibility could you see Dovi as a second rider for Yamaha? Considering that Yamaha are eerily close to not winning the team's championship this year as it is. No, I don't think so. I think I think um I think Dovi's days as a factory rider are done. I think he's probably more than happy to sit there on a on a satellite bike, um, albeit, you know, at um We'll have oh, a top spec bike it. next year. So it's not going to be Petronas next year, isn't it? Because I think no, it's, called, it's going to be called it's going to be called With You Racing. Well, there you go. So he'll, albeit on a satellite bike, I think he'll be happy there to be out of the limelight to an extent, but also on a competitive um, machine. So, yeah, I personally don't. I, I personally don't see that. He, I mean, the guy is what is he? Thirty three now. Uh, Thirty four. Thirty four. Um, so no, I don't see that happening. I think you'd rather it. To be honest, I think you'd rather be the lead guy of the satellite team with the new technology as opposed to having to deal with the team and, you know, all the effort that they're putting towards Quadraro as well. And I also just think 
we need to give more Bedelli a bit of time. Like this guy is awesome. We we yeah. haven't seen the best of him this year. He, like last year, he was struggling on the older bike as well. He's had the injuries this year, but give him time to to rest up. Give him time to test the bike, and I wouldn't be surprised if if um if he's um you know taking Quadraro to town a few a few times next year as well. Like he's an exceptional rider. The well, first time the R forty six. Right, you could almost right. make the point that that Morbidelli was the reason why Yamaha have such a good setup this year. I mean, he was the guy advocating for the 2019 chassis all of last year, um, despite the changes that Yamaha made. He, 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 you know, he was calling for it all of last year when they went into development. But at the end of the season, he was saying, you know, we need to take the good things from the 2019 bike and put them in our and and you see the results there. So I'm very interested to see Morbidelli, a healthy Morbidelli, um, next year maybe on. On the bike, I think this year is kind of over for him, um, and there's obviously the pressure of being on on the factory ride. But I'm, I'd be very interested to see how how he fares next year in 2022. I suppose it's easy to forget that he was the best Yamaha last year, yeah. um, and he he was the one who was taking the fight. To me, not Quattararo. Um, All right. So my my last question um, that I've sort of gleaned just thinking about today was um, the the last Yamaha seat is still up for grabs for next year. And there's um, talking around uh, Darren Binder coming straight from Moto3. There's talk of Jake Dixon um, coming in from Moto2. Um, both are having pretty ordinary seasons. I'd say Jake Dixon's is much more ordinary than um, Binder's, but he's he has had a, a career on superbikes before, so he has ridden bigger bikes. Um, who would you... And then also there's the whisperings that... Um, if Top Rack wins the World Two Bike season, he could be making a play for that, or not make. They would like him to be put on that um that Yamaha bike as well, which would be good for the sport. In that, as a Turkish rider in the in the GP, um, who would you like to see on that last bike out of the um, options that are being floated around? Because they've, they've all got they've all got um just quickly they've all got different uh, upsides. So if you have Jake Dixon, you finally get that uh, yet an, another British rider back after Reading and Crutchlow have gone. If you get top prac, you get a Turkish rider who's also a Yamaha world champion by the way things are going this year. Um, and Darren Binder, I suppose, you get oh you get a second South African whose brother's also there. I so don't do think, think? Uh, I don't think Darren Binder is ready for MotoGP. Like to be perfectly honest with you, he hasn't proved anything in Moto3 or Moto2, if we're being brutally honest about his situation. Similar with um, Dixon, I've got two options. I think Top Rack should be their priority, regardless of whether they win World Superbike this year or not. Like, it looks like he is, though. It looks like it, and I, I would expect him to do so. But regardless of you know where he finishes in World Superbike, they need him in MotoGP. Um, they've lost... Um, Vinales, I don't think they would have expected to be losing him. The Yamaha's loyalty to Rossi for so long has left them in a situation now where he's not competitive and they don't have a uh, strategy or an exit plan for him. They've brought back Davizio, so he's a great racer, but he's coming towards the end as well. They need another young guy. So I think Toprak should be their number one priority. And if they can't get him or they need to wait another year, then I would be trying to bring someone up from Moto2 who is obviously not coming up at this stage, but has proved themselves. And I would be saying someone like Fabio Di Antonio. Um, at Sorry, he's, Grissini, writing, he's writing for Grassini next year. 
in MotoGP? Yeah, he's on their second bike. That's who I was trying to think of, yeah. Well, there you go. He's going to MotoGP. Even, so that, right, even riders like Aaron Kinnett have shown more promise than these other yeah, riders. Aaron Kinnett has actually had a great season. He's got yeah. multiple podiums this year, but they should be picking someone like that who can obviously, has shown in Moto2 that they're competitive, they can win races, they can get podiums consistently. Um, even the other like, Fernandez is that Mark BTS. Yeah, well, yeah, Augusto. Yeah. Um, so I, that's what I'd be looking at, but I would be saying, I'd be going for top rack 110%. They've got the contingency already with Gerloff, who should be competitive on the World Superbike machinery if they need to move up to him um, or move him up to the to the factory team. But yeah, I don't think I don't think they're in a position to leave top rack in World Superbike for another year if he wins. I'd be Ben Spezing it to be honest with you. Yeah. All right. Well, I think that ends um our um, MotoGP discussion for the for the evening. Uh, Harry, did you want to um, start us up on a bit of F1 review before we close up? Our preview, sorry. Yep. So this weekend we're off to Turkey for the second year in a row. It's essentially um, a new track for the turbo hybrid era. Um, we went there last year. The track was pretty green. I think that only laid it a month or two before the Grand Prix. Um, the, the drivers were sliding all over the place. I think um, people like Daniel and Max and all, you know, the, the top echelon top drivers were, were really struggling. Um, so we don't know who's quick. We don't know, you know, if it favours a Merck or if, if it favours a Red Bull. Um, championships wide open too between the top two. Um, you know, last year, just looking at the results, it was Ferrari's best performance of the year. They finished the third and fourth. Um, and we know how bad that car was last year. So, um, you know, Checo Perez second, um, the Red Bulls were sixth and seventh. So totally flipped upside down last year. So I'm hoping this, this year the track's a bit, bit more rubbed in and we can get some indicative results where the cars are at. Excited to see what McLaren does. Yeah. Um, hopefully, hopefully Daniel keeps his upward trajectory um, in that car. And hopefully we see a good battle between Max and Lewis. I, I love this track. I'm so happy that they're going back to Turkey again. Like, personally, this is, this is one of my favourite tracks on the calendar. It's got sections of high speed. It's got sections of massive braking zones. It's got technical sections as well. Um, Mate, you know, I think eight. It's, 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 it's good that it's back. I don't know whether it's going to stay in F1 for, for much longer because of the financials of it, but I'm happy to see it back. I think we were ripped off a little bit last year with how oily the track was still. So hopefully those issues are um, done with this year. I think we should be a, see a great battle between Mercedes and Red Bull. There's sections that um, are really good for the, the low downforce, high, you know, the high speed cars like the Mercedes. There's also enough technical sections as well that should favour the Red Bull as well. Um, so that should be intriguing. But also the battle between Ferrari and, um, and McLaren at this stage. McLaren seems to do well on tracks that are low downforce. There's a bit of that here. So it should lend itself to, to them performing well as well. But then also Ferrari, um, they've been solid all year. And, and if we want to talk about, apart from, you know, the Hamilton against um, Verstappen bat um, battle, the battle for third in the Constructors' Championship is going down to the wire between two, you know, traditional heavyweights of Formula One, which is great to see. They've kind of both gone through struggles in the, you know, the last 18 months for Ferrari and closer to, you know, 20, well, 48 months for um, for McLaren. So, you know, I think this weekend should be an awesome race. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it, to the track, um, but also to 
um, the implications for the championship. And I think it has to be said now that DNFs and, and um, poor performance finishes um, are going to be, um, you know, huge in the championship battle. And with a, a aging um, engine in the back of Hamilton's uh, Mercedes, that's something that we need to um, keep an eye on. Yeah, hundred percent. I'm excited to see these cars go around turn eight um, at full pelt. We didn't see it last year; they were, they were too slippery. But yeah, in terms of Hamilton, I, I, I'm going to be interested to see when they take that extra engine because he's going to have to take it. Eventually. Bottas is on his fifth. Um, it's going to be really interesting because the rest of the calendar, looking at it on paper, favors Red Bull. Um, so we'll see what they do. I think this week they're going to try and put everything into getting a result here because they know coming up, it's 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 not favouring them. Um, particularly with our, the, sorry, but just particularly taking into consideration the fact that they've just added LaSalle to the calendar as well. Um, that is a track that's just going to be, you know, full beans for a large majority of it, full beans and then mm. heavy on the braking zone. So, yeah. Could you see um, McLaren waiting um, and looking at their qualifying results before they take that before they take the engine, sort of like what Red Bull did? Like, let's see, like how we qualify if we're uh, behind the Red Bulls, and it's it's it seems like their track will just uh, bite the bullet, and um, and just because we know we can race up to at least or behind them. Um, well, they could do what they did to Bottas last week. And do it after quality for sure, but I don't know if they're going to risk Lewis on a track like this. I think they'll they'll leave it for something else. Definitely, I think they'll I think they'll keep that engine in the back for as long as they can, and and hope Max DNFs and Max get and Lewis gets a good result. I think they've already made the mistake. To be honest with you, if I'm being perfectly frank, when they saw Verstappen going to the back of the grid last week, they should have followed suit. To be like to be frank, they wanted to get the best result possible, they would have got a great result anyway um, because the car is so dominant at, at Russia. But they're in a position now where Verstappen doesn't have to take the penalty. And, and they, what they've seen, particularly with the McLaren, is that even if they start behind the McLaren, there's no, um, there's no sure chance that they're going to get past that, past that car. So they really should have taken, bitten the bullet with Verstappen last week to obviously just stay on par. Whereas I think now um, the implications of, of not taking the engine earlier um, are going to be magnified. Yep. And I think uh, speaking of the McLaren, I think we've seen none of the cars really on the grid can pass that McLaren in a straight line. So it's, it, it, I think McLaren's coming 2022. I'll, I'll be, I'm praying that they're going to be number one on the grid. I think one of the best, if not the best driver lineups, um, you look at you look at um, Ferrari, they're pretty good. Leclerc and Science are really strong. Um, we still don't know how well George is going to do next to next to Lewis next year. He's going to do well. <laughs> Hopefully. But Red Bull, that second that second Red Bull seat, you know, Checo started off okay, but that car is just, he's just not performing at the moment. And he's done the opposite to what Daniel's done. Daniel struggled at the start. But he's doing really well at the moment. Checo had a few good results. Baku, you know, a couple of podiums here and there. But you know, the last few races, he's one driver of the day a couple of times. But it's because he's qualified twelfth and come through. So it's 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 going to be an interesting end to the year. That's for sure.
And I think um, that's where we'll leave it tonight, gents. Thanks for jumping on. Um, thanks to all of you listeners out there on whatever platform it is that you're listening on. Uh, I'll just ask you and beg you again, if you are listening on, on any of those platforms, particularly YouTube, please give us a subscribe. Please give the video a like. Only if share you enjoy it. With, yeah, only if you enjoy it. Even <laughs> if you don't enjoy it, it only takes a second to put a click up anyway. Uh, and please share it with, with other people that you know who might be interested as well. Um, we've got a few uh, interesting things in the pipeline. We've got an interview um, coming up in the next couple of weeks with an um, old rival of Mick Schumacher back in his Formula 4 days in Germany. So uh, we'll have a bit of information coming up about that. But thanks so much, gents, for jumping on. Thanks to all the listeners out there for, for spending the time listening. And we hope you all have a great week and enjoy the Turkish Grand Prix. Thanks.